Exodus chapter 27, and find verse number 20. Let's begin reading tonight. The Bible says, And thou shalt command the children of Israel that they bring thee pure olive oil beaten for the light, to cause the lamp to burn always. In the tabernacle of the congregation without the veil, which is before the testimony, Aaron and his son shall order it from evening to morning before the Lord. It shall be a statute forever under their generations on the behalf of the children of Israel. Notice again in verse number 20, the Bible says that thou shalt command the children of Israel that they bring thee pure oil olive beaten for the light. Let's pray tonight. Dear Lord, I love you. I love this pastor. I love his precious wife and their boy. God, I love this church. Our heart has grown knit here over the past several years. God, tonight I look for one thing, and I ask you for one thing. That is, I pray that the Holy Spirit of God would cause the Word of God to be manifested. May the Scripture come alive tonight. May the Word challenge us. May it change us. And God, may it truly transform us. God, I I know tonight that I have no wisdom to share. God, I certainly have no power to preach in my own flesh. But, oh, if you'll come along and help, God, then there will be help tonight. Help your church. Help this pastor. God, help us tonight in Jesus' name. And it's in His name we pray. God's people said, Amen. You can be seated. We have read this evening out of Exodus chapter 27 and verse number 20 and 21 that there was direction given for the lamp in the tabernacle. Now, the lamp in the tabernacle, the directions that were given is that it was never to go out. That it was to be a continual and a constant source of light in that dark area. I want to say to you tonight that the lamp here is a testimony, it is a type, and it is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. I need more than one amen right there. It is a picture of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you know that He is the light of the world? Thank God, aren't you glad that light shines in the darkness? Now, I want you to understand that if you were to read and study this text, you would find that there are many scholars, some that are even reputable and even correct in a lot of other areas, that would say to us that this lamp is typical or it is a picture of the nation of Israel. But I want you to understand this evening that the nation of Israel, it is the apple of God's eye. The nation of Israel is the heartbeat of God. It is that people that He has chosen for Himself. But if the nation of Israel is the light in this dark world, honey, we don't have any light in this dark world. The light and the lamp here is a picture of Jesus Himself. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you can testify and say, Preacher, I have seen the Lord in the dark areas of my life. 
Boy, I know that even in this age in which we live, it is ever increasingly becoming darker and darker in these days in which we live. I'm 37 years old tonight, and I can say this, and it sounds so strange, but it is so true that just in the last eight or nine years of my life, the darkness has gotten greater that surrounds us. I've got a little boy, he is 13, and Brother Toby, it feels so strange to say these things and think these things. But the world that I grew up in is not the world that he is growing up in. I mean, just in that short period of time, things that were shunned, things that were looked down upon, things that were on the far edge of society, they are now mainstream, they are now accepted, they are now promoted, and the darkness has gotten darker in the days in which we live. How many of you know I'm telling the truth tonight? We are living in a dark, dark day. But I'm so glad, hallelujah, that even in the darkness of this wicked world, the lamp of God and His Son is still shining bright. Now, we've seen His light. We've seen the lamp. But how many of you realize that by certainty, not one of us here tonight have ever literally or physically seen Christ? Not a one of us. Now, He's seen me. Somebody else shout hallelujah. He has seen me. And I have seen His light. But I have not literally, nor have I physically, laid eyes on Christ. Now, I've seen a television preacher that said he did. And he said for $39.95, he'd tell you all about it. Somebody holler amen right there. I don't believe he's seen Jesus neither. There's not one of us here tonight that have physically laid eyes on Christ. But I have seen His light. Do you know where I've seen His light? I have seen His light in the saints of God. Oh, I feel like preaching for a little while tonight. I have seen His light in the saints of God who have been broken and reduced and they have they have decreased and God has set a fire in their life and His Son Jesus shines through the lives of believers and born-again children of God. I believe the lamp here is a picture of Christ. And I believe that the olive oil here... And the, the, the fuel for that lamp, if I can say it like that, the olive oil or the fuel, it is the product of the Holy Spirit as it is reduced and pulled out of our lives. This olive tonight is a picture of us as children of God. And there's something, oh glory, there's something in us that can give Him glory, that can shine His light, that can spread His testimony, that can give Him the honor and the praise. But it has to be taken out of us in order for the fire of God to burn through us. The lamp is a picture of Christ. The olive is a picture of the believer. And the oil is a picture of the Spirit of God that is brought out of our life so that He can get glory through us. If you understand what the preacher is saying, say Amen. If you don't understand, call Brother Toby and hem him up all day tomorrow, all right? Now, here's what I want you to see. That there is, there is the Spirit of God within us 
But it has to be removed from our life so that it can reflect and be the light of Christ in this world. Brother Toby, I began to study this olive, and I'm sure you and probably many others here have. But I began to study this olive and this particular phrase where he said that it must be pure oil, olive, and that it is to be beaten for the specific purpose of burning in that lamp. I found several things, a lot of things that are interesting, but I'm not going to give all of it to you tonight. But I want to give you three major truths about how this olive is beaten so that it can bring light into the darkness. First of all, notice this. We see, number one, that the olive is beaten. Now, now here's what they would do. The olive tree, if you've ever seen an olive tree, I don't know if anybody has. I, I've been able to travel over into the Middle East some, and I've been in those olive groves and in entire hillsides covered with those olive trees. The olive tree, it is a gnarly tree. The bark is hard. It is rough. The limbs grow with basically no reason or reason or rhyme. They just, wherever they grow, they grow. It's a very tough, it's a very hardy tree. As I began to study the harvesting process, this is how they would harvest the olive. They would take large pieces of material, like a bed sheet or a tarp, and they would spread it around the base of that tree. They would then literally take a hard stick and they would begin to beat that tree. And as they beat that tree, the, hallelujah, the olives that were ready and ripe would be shaken. And as the tree is shaken, they fall to the ground. How many of you realize this evening, oh, bless you, if I get happy and can't finish it, the outline's up there, all right. How many of you realize tonight, that it was not the good times in our life that brought us to Christ. It was not the high times that showed me my need for a Savior. But it was the times when I got roughed up. The times when life was hard. The times when my world was shaken. That God was loosening me that He might bring me to a place that He can use me. They are, it is beaten. It is shaken. And as it is shaken, the olives begin to fall. I thought about this phrase. As they fall, I guess we could say it like this. They are let down from the tree to a place where they can be harvested. Does anybody tonight know anything about being let down? But Toby does. He booked Brian McBride and ended up with Tom Hatley. Somebody say amen. You can tell Brother Thomas said that when he gets it now. Let down. You ever been let down? Have you ever? You know what? You know how we get let down? I'm just teasing. Tom had one of my closest friends. Case you, I, you, don't, you don't talk about people like that you don't really like. Somebody say, man. You know what happens when we get let down? This is how we get let down. We get let down when we assume that something is going to be one way. And we begin to plan toward an expected end. And in our mind, we create the circumstances that we foresee in our future. And then as life does, it has a way of not working out quite like we had thought it was going to. And then what, when, when what we expected does not come to pass, just like that olive tree, wham, we get dropped, we get shaken, 
and we get let down. I remember I was a little fellow. I, I spent the first part of my life, this may be why God's joined our hearts together. I spent the first part of my life in South Tennessee, right outside of Cleveland, in a little place called Buck's Pocket, Tennessee. Anybody ever heard of Buck's Pocket, Tennessee? Don't worry, the Lord hadn't either. Say amen right there. We lived there in Buck's Pocket. My daddy pastored a little church there. And boy, we saw God do some amazing things. I was about, I was about nine Almost ten years old, and my daddy resigned that church and turned it over into new hands, and we moved to Columbus, Georgia, and took a church there. Brother Toby, when we lived in Buck's Pocket, we lived on about 40 acres, and we had horses, and we had woods, and all we did was play outside, and I loved those horses. I mean, that was my life. And I remember when we was packing up to leave, I'll never forget seeing that horse trailer back up, and we had to sell our horses and move to town in Columbus, Georgia. Boy, I was heartbroken watching them horses and load up in that trailer and take off down the road. We got to Columbus, and we got settled in, and it rolled around, and it was just about time for Christmas. I've got a precious mother and daddy. I mean, they're just wonderful people. That My mother is one of them folks that everything is a big deal. You know what I'm talking about? She's one of them people that decorates for everything. She decorates for Valentine's. She decorates for Thanksgiving. I, I, mean, I mean, I'm surprised we didn't have outfits for Groundhog Day. Can somebody give me a witness right there? She decorates for everything. I mean, every holiday is a big deal. Boy, I remember it was getting close to Christmas, and I knew as soon as Thanksgiving was over, I mean, before the sun went down, we was going to be putting up the tree and going into Christmas gear. This is back before the Internet. This is when you got a Sears or a J.C. Penney catalog sent to your house. About that thick right there. It was the Internet. Can I get a witness? Anybody know what I'm talking about? I remember it's... It rolled around Thanksgiving. I knew we was fixing to go into Christmas time, and that big old Sears catalog came in the mail. I grabbed that thing, and I summoned through the pages, and I went all the way back to the footwear. And I found a brand new pair of Laredo brown cowboy boots with brass tips on the toes and on the heels. Because you don't never know. When you kick somebody in the mouth, you may have to come back by on your way through. Say amen. Man, I thought, Lord, that's the, that's, the, that's the baddest pair of boots I have ever seen in my life. I got out the marker. We didn't have no money, but we had high hopes. And we read that thing with a marker. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Some of y'all don't know. We'd read that thing with a highlighter. Praise God, just in case something might come of it. Boy, I highlighted, I circled in boots. My mama got home that evening. I went in and laid it on the dining room table. I said, you know, I know it's going to be Christmas time here for long. And I know that there's six of us kids and you got a lot on you. I'm just going to make this real simple. If you can get these right here, everything's going to be all right. I'd come home from school. 
and I'd find that catalog and I'd open it up and I done had it circled and highlighted and I laid it in there on her dresser where she'd find it. I told her, I said, Mom, you know, if you order it right now, they're going to ship it for free and it'll be here by the end of November. Thanksgiving came and went. We ate the turkey, put up the tree. Brother Toby, I came in from school the next week, and the tree is up. And as I walked in the front door, I saw a box under the tree about that long, about that deep, and about that wide. I looked over there and it had my name on it. I said, glory to God, we're going to be back in the saddle here for too long. John Wayne, wait on me. I'm coming, buddy. Just hold tight right where you are. I'd come home from school every day, and I'd see that box. I'd go over there, and I'd look at it. I'd pick it up. I just could not wait for the day. I mean, I could just see them brass tips on the end of my boots walking into school. Bad guys just surrender when you got brass on both ends of your boots. Boy, I wanted them things so bad, and I just I could not wait until Christmas morning. And I told you, my mother, she's a big holiday person. There's six kids in our family, and it wasn't a free-for-all when, when it was Christmas. They took turns going around. And you'd open up one, and you'd start the littlest one, and you'd go around by age. And I mean, dear Lord, it's just torture when you're a youngin'. Finally, it got my turn to get them big presents. I grabbed that box. I ripped the paper off of it. I threw the lid off. I reached in and I pulled out the ugliest blue sweater you've ever seen in your life. It had brown dots sewn on the front of it. It had green dots sewn under the brown. And, and here's a little throwback for you. had a big old section of mauve going right across your stomach. No, but they spared no expense. It had leather straps on both shoulders. I don't know what you strapped to a sweater, but I was ready for whatever it might be. Man, I pulled that sweater out. Let me tell you something. When you are ten years old, you don't want a sweater like for no reason. Like Antarctica freezing to death, hypothermia, you want a sweater? No, not really. I think I'll be all right. And you sure don't want one for Christmas. Boy, I held up that sweater. And there I was. I, if I knew where Santa Claus lived, I'd have drove to his house, kicked him in the knee, and came back to Georgia. Man, the disappointment of thinking that we're going to be like Bonanza ready, only to end up with a sweater, an ugly sweater, with brown leather patches on both shoulders. You know what that's called? That's called disappointment. That's called Getting let down. By the way, I never did get them boots. If somebody feels real sorry for me and has a burden, I'll still take them. I mean, we, you can like fix psychological childhood issues I'm still dealing with to this day. Yeah, bless him, Lord. Buy him in boots. Praise God. Put, put some, put some ump behind that blessing. Amen. It's disappointment. It is being let down and thinking you know what God is going to do only to find out that God's ways are not your ways. Is there anybody here tonight that has ever looked down your path and thought, I know what God's doing. I know where God's taking me. I know what God's working in my life. But when you get there, the fulfillment of it is that God has somehow not done what you thought He would. And here you are, let down. You know something about this olive 
and this is true whether you're making olive oil to cook with, to burn, whatever the case may be. The olive contains within it a certain chemical that brings with it a bitterness that is unbearable. Now, I don't like olives anyway. I like them on pizza cooked, but I, I'm not a big olive person. But when the olive is fresh from the tree, it contains within it a chemical that is so bitter that it is completely unpalatable and almost unedible. The bitterness is so strong in that olive. You know what they have to do to the olive, whether it's for oil, whether it's for cooking, whatever happens to the olive, the first thing that happens is it has to be cleansed with lye. You know what lye is? It's soap. That olive has to be scrubbed and it has to be cleaned and it has to be cleansed. Ladies and gentlemen, look at me right here. Our lives, oh, I feel like preaching right here. Our lives will never be usable. They'll never be palatable. God will never get glory out of us until He first cleanses our life and scrubs us and washes away the filth of this world and the sin that resides in us. We've got to be cleansed before we never be used. Boy, you don't hear that preached much anymore. I got news for you. God's not going to use a dirty vessel. God's not going to put His pure spirit into a contaminated vessel. We must make an effort, and we must repent, and we must turn to Christ, and we must let His blood cleanse us from all sin. That olive has to be cleansed. And I found this out. I found that after it is cleansed in lie, listen to this. The olive is then soaked in brine, and brine is nothing more than salt and water. What is salt in your Bible? Jesus said to the disciples, the future church, He said, Ye are the salt of the earth. You know what the salt is? The salt's the church. You know what water is a picture of in your Bible? It's a picture of the Scripture. It's a picture of the Word of God. Oh, i got news for you tonight. Do you know the only way God can use us is if we allow Him to cleanse us and then we let Him soak us in the Scripture and in the church house? I'm going to say that again. You're not ever going to have the touch of God on your life until you get the sin out and until you soak in the Word of God and until you sit with the congregation of God. It takes that soaking process to get the bitterness out of our life. I promise you tonight, you don't have to go to church to go to heaven, but you'll have no joy on your journey. You'll have no strength in your step. You'll have no happiness in your life. You've got to soak in the congregation. You've got to sit in the church and let God take things out of you and let God put things in you. Somebody said, well, I'd go to church. But I don't always get something out of it. Let me say something to you right here. Listen to me carefully. The days that we go to church and we don't get something out of it, but we go faithful and we go anyway, are probably the days when we are becoming more like Christ. Because most of the time when I'm going and getting something out of it, there is a tendency to find that satisfaction in my flesh, that reward. But when I go 
and I'm simply going out of commitment, and I'm going out of dedication, and I'm crucifying this flesh, and the songs ain't making me tap my feet, and the preacher ain't got goosebumps crawling up my back, but I am crucifying my flesh. I am sitting in the place I'm supposed to be. I am being obedient to the Word of God. No, it may not feel good, and no, it may not make me want to charge hell with a water pistol, but I am soaking in the place that God has told me to be. And I'm crucifying this flesh, and I'm killing self, and I'm letting God pull the bitter taste out of my life. Soaking in the church and soaking in the Scripture. That olive, it is beaten. Its world is shaken. Several months ago, we had, uh, I believe it was our dryer that went out. And some folks in the church found out about it, and they said, we won't take you... We want to get you a new washer and a new dryer. Get you a matching set. They took us down and Brother Toby, they're showing us all of these new uh, appliances. And as they were showing them to us, the salesman came along and he said, I'm going to be honest with you. He said, these new washing machines, he said, they don't have an agitator in them. And he said, I probably shouldn't tell you this because I could get more money out of you. But he said, the old style washing machines that have an agitator in them, he said, they get the clothes cleaner than the ones that don't have an agitator. You know what that agitator is? It sits in the middle and it, it shakes things up. It roughs things up. And he said, I didn't say it, he said it, that the agitator gets out stains that'll stick in there if you don't have anything to shake it up. You know what God does with our life? He'll shake us up. He'll agitate us. He'll turn our world upside down. And He'll cause us to be let down. But child of God, lift up your eyes. He's going to head glory. He's going to clean you up. He's going to soak you in the church. He's going to fill you with the Scripture. And He's going to get the bitterness out of your life. He'll pull out that bitter taste. Pull out that bitter flavor. He'll pull out all of that stuff that's unusable and He'll season us so that our lives are fit for the Master's use. They are beaten. Number two, watch this. Not only are they beaten, but number two, the olives are bruised. When the olive is shaken out of that tree and it falls when it first lands on that tarp or that sheet, whatever you want to call it, that fabric that is catching it, as it hits the ground, Brother Toby, those initial drops after that first break, they say is the purest form of the oil of the olive that it'll ever have. You know what that tells me? Glory. It tells me that there's something in that olive just dying to get out. But it can't come out until the olive is bruised. Ain't amazing, listen to me real carefully, ain't amazing that when we get saved that the Holy Ghost is in us and He's working in us and He is longing to get out of us and work through us. And isn't it amazing that when we first get saved, every time somebody bump into us, that pure olive oil comes ripping out. How many of you remember when you got saved? 
and you couldn't wait to tell somebody, hey, hallelujah, what Jesus had done in your heart. You could not wait to tell somebody that you wasn't going to hell. You could not wait to tell somebody that God had made a change in your life. Those first initial drops are so pure. And they're so safe. They actually call them the mother drops of the olive oil. They are the first release of that oil. And when that skin is bruised, when that skin is first roughed up, it is those initial drops that come out that are so filled with that pure olive oil. Let me say something to you tonight. You want to know what the life of any church is? I want you to listen to me very carefully. You want to know what the life of any church is? The life of any church is new people getting saved and getting birthed in the family of God. If we have a church that is filled with saints who are saved and they may be Spirit-filled, they may be full of God, but if the church is full of people that have only... uh, If the church is only full of people that have been saved for some length of time, we may be good people, we may be godly people, but we are missing a key ingredient, and that is that virgin olive oil, those mother drops that come when somebody gets saved and their life is flowing with that oil dripping off of their life. I love to be around people that just got born again. They don't know the language. They don't know the codes. They don't know the key words. All they know is they're going to hell last week and they're going to heaven this week. Them kind of people will move your Bible and sit where you've been sitting for 25 years. Those kind of people will pull in your parking spot. Those kind of people will leave cigarettes out by the car. Those kind of people will break the dress code. Those kind of people will show up with folks that make us raise our spiritual eyebrows and wonder what they're doing here. But if you'll just get past your stinking Baptist pride, you'll find out that they've got pure olive oil just busting out of the seams and they're thrilled about what God's are doing in their life. Had a fella come to our church several months ago and came in on a Sunday morning wearing a hat. Now, I don't wear a hat in church. My, my, my daddy, if I wore a hat in this church tonight, my daddy would appear from 200 miles away, whoop me, snatch it off, and then tell me, act better next time. Somebody say amen. Now, I don't wear a hat in church. This old boy came in wearing a hat. Hat on a, actually it was a, it was a Miller Lite. Ball cap. Came in the church, sat down. His little wife had been coming for about two and a half months. And he came with her, a soldier, young man, probably in his mid-twenties. He came in, sat down with that hat on his head. Boy, here come the bristled up Baptist. Preacher, what you going to do? What you going to do? He's wearing a hat. Not only that, he's wearing a beer hat in God's house. This may hurt your feelings. Do we take up offering? We done got the offering. I've already packed up. Glory, I've got enough gas to get home. I'll just say what I want to say tonight. They said, what you going to do, preacher? I said, what do you mean, what am I going to do? What you going to do him wearing that hat in church? I said, let me tell you something. If you think that boy's hat on his head is the biggest problem he's got, then you need to crawl off somewhere and find out where God is. That boy probably, he probably, hey, he probably wore that hat hoping somebody would say something. So he could tell his sweet little wife, I ain't never going back there again. 
and walk out with him. After you know what I done, I went back there and shook his hand, told him I was glad he's here, told him he's welcome back any time, and I preached the gospel to him because a hat on his head is not the greatest problem he has. He's got a soul that's bound for hell, and he needs the grace of God to save him. I tell you what, the life of a church is. The life of a church is in new olives that just fall off the tree. And they don't know how to act. And they don't know what to do. But they got that fresh oil busting out. I had, I had an old fella got saved. Never had made a profession of faith. Never had been in church nowhere. Got saved. Brother Toby, I went to baptize him. I put him down in the tub. Pulled him back out. He hollered, Yee-haw! That's redneck for hallelujah. I knew what he meant. God did too, I think. Them new olives. That fresh oil. Makes it exciting down to house of God. Those initial drops, those that initial break, that initial bruise, and that fresh oil. There's nothing like. I had a young lady get saved about three weeks ago. We've had nine adults saved in the month of February. Had a young lady in her, I think she was 28 years old, according to her prayer card. Tattoos from her neck all the way to her wrist. Had bobs in her ear, and you could tell. Had just come up with no raising around the house of God. She walked the aisle on a Sunday morning. The Holy Ghost of God moved in her heart and saved her and wrote her name down in glory. I got her prayer card, and I was praying over it that week. And on that card, she was praying for God to help her with drug addiction. And I found out from the folks that brought her, she'd had a long history of alcohol and drug abuse. And I prayed for her all week long. She came in that next Sunday. And she had, she was leaving after the service. She shook my hand. I said, how you doing? Cassie, I said, how you doing? She said, preacher. She said, I, she said, ever since last Sunday, she said, I didn't know life could be like this. She said, I didn't know I could feel this good. She said, it feels like a truck. Got rolled off of my heart. She said, I didn't know that life could feel like this. Oh, I bless the Lord tonight. You know what I'm praying for Walridge Baptist Church? I'm praying that God will shake the olive tree. That God will put folk in here who don't know nothing about it. But the joy and the oil of the Holy Ghost will flow out of their life. And if you want that, if you want that, you're going to have to put up with some stuff. But I promise you, there's nothing that'll invigorate a body like new members who are discovering the joy of being saved. It's bruised. And as it's bruised, those fresh drops come forth. Number three, let me give you this and I'll hush tonight. Number three, the olive is bruised, is beaten, then it is bruised. But thirdly, in order for the olive to produce all of the oil that it can, the olive is broken. I found out something very interesting. Boy, ain't amazing how the Word of God just lines up so well. The initial, there's five different processes that they used to break that olive. By the way, five in your Bible is the number of grace. Somebody say amen. But there's five different processes they would use. And I'm not going to preach them all tonight. They would press it. They would bruise it. They would shake it. They would grind it. There was, there was five different processes. But here's what I want you to understand. That each process, the first one's when they shook it out of the tree and it fell and it was bruised. 
But every process following that got harder, got more strenuous, got more violent and more crushing than the process before that. You know what I have found out in this Christian life? Now, now I'm going to need a witness right here. I, I'm, I'm headed to the house, all right? So y'all stay with me. Don't, don't, don't leave me now. Stay with me. You'd think that when we get saved, when we got lives full of sin, our hearts are lost, we don't know God. You would think that God would put us in this great big grinder and ream us out. And then as we serve Him, that things would get easier and things would get better and we'd get stronger and life would become lighter. But I tell you what I found, I found that it's just right the opposite. When I first got saved, He just barely bruised me. And then He'd shake me a little bit. Then He'd press me. But I have found and discovered that the further... Am I preaching tonight? The further I get in this thing, the more violent the presses become. And the more strenuous and the tighter the squeeze is on my life. You know why? Oh, glory. Because He's doing His effort to get all the oil out of me that He can possibly get. Ain't that amazing? Uh, how many of you remember when you first got saved? God began to shake you a little bit. I, 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 was, I was saved as a young man, but I was on my own, living on my own at the age of 17. And that's when I really began to have to live these things that God had put in my life. I was 17. I moved off to go to college. I was playing basketball. I was working almost a full-time job and taking some 20-plus hours of classes every week. I, I remember Brother Toby working that little job and getting my paycheck, $210. I, I was paying my own bills, paying my own school bill, putting gas in my I had any help whatsoever, 17 years old. And I remember sitting in church that first Sunday that I had that paycheck, and all them bills just came right to my house. And I remember sitting in church and thinking, you know, I've been raised on that Baptist math. I can figure 10% out of anything. Somebody say amen. And I remember sitting there in church saying, I got $210, and 21 of it belongs to the Lord. And I remember thinking, but you know, he's not broke, and I am, so I wonder if he'd spot me a little something this week. <laughs> Boy, that $21, it seemed like a million as I sat in that pew looking at groceries and looking at gas and looking at insurance and looking at a school bill. And that $21 sure did seem big. And I can tell you stories of God shaking me up, bruising me. Oh, there's times that I'd hold on to it, but how many of you know He's going to get His, whether it's through the offering or through something, He's going to get once He is. Some of y'all been tithing to the mechanic. You've been tithing to the repairman. You've been tithing to stuff that you lost. You might as well give an offering because God didn't get it anyhow. Just go ahead and put it where it belongs. <laughs> and I ain't preaching on tithing tonight. I'm just telling you that when I first started living this stuff, it sure did seem big. And I thought to myself, dear Lord, how am I going to make it without that $21? And God had to squeeze me, and God had... And now, here, let's see, I've been saved now some 30 years. And can I tell you something? He's asked me for a whole lot more than $21 come here lately. You know why? Because the squeeze gets tighter, and the press gets heavier. 
and he pushes harder as we go. I've got a dear friend, dear friend. He was preaching the morning my daddy got saved. I believe Brother Roy is 86 or 87 years old. Been pastoring the same church almost 60 years. Been pastoring that same church. And his health is failing, and his body is riddled with pain. And he told a good friend of mine, and he didn't tell me this, but he told a very good friend of mine in confidentiality this. He said, I have, he said, I would like more than anything to step down. He said, and I always thought that God let me build all these years, and then I'd be able to sit back and watch it and enjoy it. He said, but you know what I found? He said, here at the end, he said, the burdens are heavier, the battles are harder, and he said, I've never felt pressed like I do in these last days. You know what's happening in our lives when that we get to that place? He's increasing, and we're decreasing. When you get to the end of the olive story, the olive is nothing but a smashed skin. It's just an empty, smashed skin. But oh, the glory to God. The less of the olive there is, the more the oil is found. And the more oil that is found, the brighter the lamp burns in the darkness. You know what God's doing? He's not trying to make us beautiful. He's not trying to make us picture-perfect saints. He's trying to crush us. He's trying to press us. He's trying to push us. And He's bringing His Holy Spirit through our lives so that the the light of Christ will shine bright. And when it comes to the end, you know what we are? Just empty skin. Crushed, broken, deflated, dehydrated, and absolutely worthless. But look how bright the light is shining. I don't have to illustrate tonight. i got a million illustrations of folks I know personally that God has put in our little church that have been crushed. But oh, their light sure is shining bright. We buried an 18-year-old boy four months ago. Sat on the front row of our church since he's about nine years old. Good boy. And I watched... Stood by his bed, feet away, as he breathed his last breaths, fighting for air. His daddy stood beside me, a lost man, never had been saved, never made a profession of faith, only been to church a handful of times in his life. And I held him up as we watched his son take his last few breaths. And I watched God crush Stacy. And two Sundays after we buried little Colby, Stacy piled out of that second row, got saved by the grace of God. Oh, his life has been crushed and his life has been broken. But that oil sure is flowing. And Sunday morning he had, that's been four months ago, Sunday morning there was three rows of people there with that one man. With that one man. There was a couple there. I, I've got their card in my Bible. Been praying for it all week this week. Been praying for them all week this week. David and Kim Peacock. They had a son, 20 years old, that died six months ago in a car accident 300 yards from my front door of my house. And Sunday morning, they sat two rows from the back. You know who they came with? They came with Stacy, whose life had been crushed and broken, but they saw something burning in him and said, if he can make it through this, then we can too. Amen. Pressed, broken, 
crushed. But look how bright the lights are shining. Let's stand up all over the building.